could you please pronounce your names correctly for me and give me a little bit of background on sort of who you are and what has brought you to this forum? Hey, my name is Olur Kaimak. I'm from Turkey. Uh, currently, I'm based uh, in Belgium, in Ghent. Uh, I just finished my master's studies at Lucas School of Arts in Finance Department. And uh, I'm painter and drawer. And I can say about the structure that uh, I think it's a, it's a great uh, opportunity uh, I understood th this uh, as soon as I read the open call because it's uh, diversity and inclusivity. So also uh, it's for me a great feeling because I'm from Turkey and these issues we have uh, tackled uh, during the Forum of the Structura actually concerns of uh, EU, but so I'm grateful because they were able to invite uh, genuinely someone from Turkey. Maybe in political level, Turkey is not uh, considered as part of EU, but at least in artistic uh, aspect, uh, it's considered that way. So actually, it's a good feeling for me. Brilliant. And I'm Marta. Uh, I'm a Polish art historian and curator. And I live and work in the UK. I'm doing my PhD at UAL and I work in Backlit Art Gallery in Nottingham. So this is, this program has been like a way to sort of reconnect with larger European community because UK is a bit separated now <laughs> after Brexit. So it's a great way to kind of reconnect with this part of, part of Europe and do some things together and exchange thoughts. So yeah, that's that. And you all were part of the think tank, which is basically like a subcategory of the entire event, but based around the idea of the art world titans, the role and responsibility of well-established, high-regarded institutions. Give me a little bit of a sort of a, that, that's the like formalized titles, but like what did you, what were some of the problems or concerns or issues that you all tried to sort of investigate, understand, and potentially come to some resolution about? Thank you. I mean, we are all uh, young artists and art uh, practitioners and from very uh, different uh, fields and different backgrounds. So actually, uh, what our think tank uh, subject is uh, discovering very crucial for us uh, as beginners and like some of the main issues we have uh, question tackled and try to offer solutions where for example a like inaccessibility of the art institutions and could be also for example the challenges that emerging artists are facing and labor exploitation in the institutions and those are actually the subjects could uh, vary in uh, different countries uh, different institutions, but a uh, all in all, we were trying to find a base and understanding that could be actually uh, covering the uh, all the regions and, and minority groups and uh, different uh, aspects. So we were mainly tackling uh, these kind of issues, but maybe Marta could say more things about it. 
Yeah, sure. So uh, we have been working in a group with a couple of other uh, art practitioners. Uh, Kosara Konstantinova, who's an art historian. Uh, Sondra Nielsen, who's an artist. Johanna Kalasitka, who's a producer and photographer. And Stanimir Stoyanov, who's um, a curator as well. So we had a group which is quite focused on visual arts and visual arts organizations. That was the main sort of focus, I guess. And yeah, the, the big focus was on this sort of very inaccessible um, image and infrastructure of big art organizations that have um, very great power um, when it comes to the art world and how they interact with emerging art practitioners. Um, and we also noticed something, because our group, again, was quite strong on the research part, we noticed that there is quite a lot of research done in this area, but it's not being implemented in those arts institutions. So there is a lot of ways that people have already been exploring those solutions, but people on top are basically not interested in, in applying them and actually making sure that those, those voices and those solutions are being heard. So that was a big, big uh, aspect of, of what we have been doing uh, during the, the, the work together as well. When you say those solutions, uh, first of all, I'm not even sure exactly what the problem is. So maybe give me a little lowdown on what the problem is. I'm playing devil's advocate, by the way. I'm fully aware what the problem is. But for the listener's sake, what's the problem? <laughs> I mean, I can, I can if you want me to. Yeah, sure. Um, so because those um, art institutions operate within a structure that has to do with a system that is quite oppressive, and it's very difficult to get in and be a part of. Um, many people, especially minorities, are being excluded uh, from accessing this big world of big art and um, place where you can sustain your practice and actually make money and not struggle as an artist or art professional, speaking in very blunt terms, probably. Um, <laughs> because, again, yeah, it's, it's all about... You know, we, we want to sustain our practices, we want to make money and we don't want to struggle, we want to thrive. And those art, big art institutions should be a part of this process and they very rarely are. They usually support big names, big artists uh, that are popular for people to come to the gallery to see a famous name, but they don't necessarily engage with younger um, artists and practitioners because they don't want to invest in them because it's always risky. We don't know whether they're going to be successful. We don't know whether they're going to draw people in the arts institutions. So they stick to well-known uh, sort of popular pop um, pop artists. So that was a big, big factor in, in all of those. Just as a little sort of first note on that, like, where did you get the idea that it is the role of the institutions to do that kind of support in the first place? The clusters were in the scriptura, uh, societal, technological, and also in nature. So our, uh, uh, our subject was under the cluster of uh, social, and so we were already prepared to reflect on this subject uh, through the perspective that uh, Marta uh, was just explaining. 
I guess also the idea comes from the fact that you have this massive, massive art institution, which is obviously a symbol of power in the art world, yes? To be clear, they're, they're not just a symbol of power. They are power. They are power, yes. They have financial power, social power, symbolic power, financial, yeah, any, any sort of power. So it kind of feels, in order to create like a perfect, I don't know, perfect or sustainable art world where minority voices are being heard, where we work with many different people on very different levels, it feels kind of right to include those big institutions and kind of maybe make the structure a bit more democratic and and include the voices of obviously power's limited amount of hands uh and it only feels right to include those who don't necessarily have this access to those power structures i guess which are emerging artists because from the perspective of those who have power what do we know actually well yeah, not much also, <laughs> also just as uh, we are all social beings and uh, extra art uh, professionals and those are institutions uh, historically representing actually and defining uh, who we are so as the uh, museums are holding the whole uh, collection of uh, certain uh, country region all the art pieces are there and so those uh, pieces are actually belonging to the uh, society and I think as uh, we are society then we have right of expecting that history is uh, constructing something uh, nicer for all of us. Well, I feel like there needs to be a bit more of a specification of what you're talking about because like I'll give you an example of what is popping through my head is in what I grew up in Washington DC. In Washington, D.C., there's the Smithsonian Institution, which is a private institution. In other locations, there are these kinds of large institutions that are government-run institutions or government-funded institutions. I don't see that there's any need for the Smithsonian as a private institution to do anything that you're talking about because they're a private institution. They can do whatever the hell they want. It's their own money in their own space. Now, on the other hand, what you're talking about I agree wholeheartedly for anything that is funded by government or taxpayer money. So there's a bit of a sort of a differentiation that I think needs to be uh, sort of agreed upon for this entire conversation because like private institutions, I mean, and I can think of like I was recently in Oslo. Oh, I, w I was going to say the Monk Museum, but that's not actually true because that's actually funded by the government. But, you know, anyways, you get the idea that there are some institutions that are privately funded, some are publicly funded. So the certain institutions don't actually have to listen to this kind of an idea because of their funding model, whereas government funding places, I think, very much so need to sort of listen to this kind of idea. I think we lost him. Yes, I'm sure he'll be back um, in a second, but I can take over for the minute. You are right, and these were the... For the clarification, these were the, the institutions that we've been mostly focusing on. Um, because again, taking into consideration the funding model, most of those places that we were researching about or talking about are actually funded by the state or taxes or money, you know, that comes from people. So the project could be funded uh, privately, but at the end, if the 
artists uh, are dealing what, with the social issues, and it doesn't matter if it is private or uh, public. Well, no, I'm saying it's not about the art, but I'm saying the the role of the institution to take on social, uh, uh, you know, uh, working with more minorities, working with social uh, ideas and concepts uh, is not, it's not necessary for a private institution to do this. However, it seems like from the discussion that you all have been having that what you're talking about is more the publicly funded, the government funded institutions and the role and the expectations that they should be doing these things. And do you have some uh, suggestions or examples that they could do something else as well? That to imagine for us, besides uh, being social? Well, that's what you all were talking about in the forums. So I'm asking you. <laughs> and I, I'm just now trying to remember, did we really uh, cover uh, this aspect in our research, was it more mostly going on about the public institutions, Marta? Yes. So we focus most, well, purely on our institutions that are publicly funded, and therefore there is this objective of including the voices of minorities, including the voices of the community, working with the local community and whatnot, because there is a social sort of responsibility in that field uh, when you're publicly funded institution. So I guess privately funded, that's a completely... Again, we can, you know, speculate and, and ask ethical and moral questions about the general responsibility of the larger, big, big institutions. But that's a topic of sustainability, it's a topic of capitalism. Uh, so there are larger issues to be involved in that, but I don't think we want to get in those. So yeah, <laughs> publicly funded arts institutions was the main focus of, of that work. Yeah. Also, I think, I don't know if the expectation is the best word, but in our case, in our research, it was more demand. That's a very strong word to be using. Yeah, because we were imagining uh, the better world for this. Um also, like, what was important for us, uh, as I said, it's not expectation, it's demand. Also, and we are not the ones actually inside the institutions. We, we are all emerging ones. We are uh, yet outside, actually. So for, uh, for us, it's, uh, again, important. At the beginning, we were, uh, Marta was mentioning um, that kind of researches are already made, but not implemented. So, again, we, we are going through maybe similar researches, but it's already, uh, it's already making the change in us as a beginners. So, we are already aware of, uh, the type of institutions and expectations we are talking here. So, then w once we are in, in the institutions, we can be more careful and aware of the situation. That can be actually sort of beginning of the change that we demand. Yeah, I think I think it's a good point to address that we are aware of the issues and it's not longer a thing that an emerging practitioner is getting into the institution wanting to follow all the rules that they see. Let's say I want to be a curator at Tate, meaning I need to do this, this, this and that. 
No, <laughs> not necessarily. I mean, some people still follow the structure, like, which is quite, I don't know. Um, yeah. I don't know, a classical so. route of getting there. I want to be a curator at Tate. Can I do that? Well, that's the problem, you see. We, we all want to be curators at Tate. It's just we're trying to find ways which how to get there without exploiting gallery assistants, without not paying artists for their work, without uh, being a nasty, nasty person in general because we were talking a lot about care and transparency and, and treating people nicely because this is a big problem in, in, in art world. So how to get there to this position of power and still remain an, a good person, basically, at the end of the day. It's, well, yeah, it's so funny. Everybody talks about Tate with big hate. I love Tate. I don't know what everybody's bad-mouthing Tate for. Yeah, I never do, so I, do, I don't have an opinion. It's only people from the UK that bad-mouth Tate. <laughs> Could be. In yeah. every every example, if you want to say something bad about the institution, people just say Tate and hate. I don't know. No, no, no. I love Tate. Uh, I, Tate is just a, a an iconic. It, it's one of those things. That, like they're basically the lightning rod because they're the biggest in the region. That's it. And so, like, they catch all the shit. Yeah. Oh well, they could do better. Everybody could do better. Like, I don't think there's a single institution that anybody could point to existing in the world that you could say, hey, they do it perfectly. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Although, well, that's also the problem that we were discussing, that when you're this big, you're like a tank. So you are moving with great strength, but you're moving very slowly. Whilst there are collectives and art institutions and art galleries that are smaller, so they're smaller fish, but they move faster, if that makes sense. So they can... They have the ability and and structure to adapt to changes because that's not that much of a deal. And also, if they fail, they fall from a smaller horse rather than Tate, which is you know when you're top of the tops, it's a bit more tricky. Let's let's find some other institution. We'll do, we'll do Mo, <laughs> MoMA. We'll do MoMA. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. New York MoMA. Just to be clear. Also, I think why uh, these kind of big institutions are becoming our examples because we are talking about change, uh, demand and expectation. So in our think tank uh, discussions, we were a lot, I think, talking about uh, the difficulty difficulties of changing because those are so big institutions. And we were talking about the possible exchanges between these big institutions and uh, small ones. And also we were a lot exampling Actually, with the small uh, institutions or galleries, changes um, uh, might be more easy or ad adaptation, like uh, it's in relevancy with the contemporary issues or it's a relevancy with, it, with its environment. Uh, like, for example, if we can, uh, if we imagine a small gallery that's made in certain, uh, built in certain neighborhood, it would be way easier maybe for them to integrate themselves into the area and uh, region and communicate with the people. So since the agenda, agenda how to say this word, agenda, and the programs uh, of the big institutions are um, made by the directors and board people uh, there, so it's a bit hard to maybe reach them as well. 
Well, I'd like to go back a quick second to your your whole position of um, unpaid interns being abused and people being assholes and all this kind of stuff. I just want to say from my generation, because I am not of your generation for sure, much older than you all, um, that is totally normal. I have no idea what you all are talking about. Why do you have some expectation that like people will pay artists fair wages and that they will treat you with respect and they will pay you on a good thing and and that they will be nice like wh- who are you to think that those are normal like that's not normal the wh- the way the art world has always been is the rich and the powerful are assholes they take advantage of the the poor uh the starving artists and all this like this is the way the institution of art has existed for centuries why and do you think that it should be changed now? I'm saying this sardonically, just to be clear. Yeah, it's, it, we are talking about um, paid uh, interns, but I I will take this as more uh, the financial difficulties of art uh, artists, art practitioners. And I think what I found why I find it important because there is a big contradiction in it. Um, there is a huge pressure on art professionals uh, about like change and about questioning all the uh, global issues of the world and there is a huge amount of pressure uh, on us but on the other hand they have this uh, they i don't know who, who are they but uh, generally public uh, people has this uh, perception that uh, okay you are artist uh, you you actually the pain is uh, pleasure for you and you don't need uh, much money but at the same time they expect from us to question and to change the world but stay on your corner very poor i, I don't think so this is very uh, sustainable so the uh, expectation public uh, have from us about questioning all the issues around the globe then the artists are also Maybe art professionals are expecting that the institutions are sharing this uh, weight that artists are carrying on their shoulder, if I am clear. Yeah, we basically just all want to go on holiday and not <laughs> not make a big fuss out of it. Like, that's, that's the bottom line of it. We all want to go on vacay. I don't need to go on vacation. I want to be able to afford to make my artwork without having to worry about money. That's my definition of a successful life. Yeah. It sounds like vacation. Yeah, literally. That is not a vacation. No. No, I want to be working 365 days a year and and producing and enjoying the act of being an artist and living that life and not have to worry about having enough money to buy my supplies or ship where I need to ship or do whatever I need to do to continue to make my art. That's all I want. I don't want to be super rich. I don't want to drive some amazing car or anything like this. I just want enough to not have to worry. Yeah, that's that's the problem. Obviously, I'm joking about the holiday. But again, you should be able to go on holiday um, because I think there is this frustration that growing and growing each year and each year um, that everyone wants to thrive whilst yeah it's this surviving and thriving and the distance between the two is just growing and growing how can you thrive when you're trying to pay your rent when you're trying to get your supplies regularly when you're trying not to worry about money every every month 
how are you expected to become a better curator, a better artist, a better practitioner while you're still on the level of just trying to make it work? It's just not, it's just not functioning. And I think now after COVID and everyone is trying to sort of like create a better environment for arts to thrive, but it's still like a couple of steps behind it. Like, because again, the funding is so limited. Like in the UK, we're having so many conversations about how the EU funding has been cut and then Arts Council keep cutting the fund even more and more. But then they expect Just more. Just to be clear, EU funding has been cut because you cut off the EU. Just to be clear. <laughs> you, as in me. Oh, well, nice. Well, you nice live in the UK, so yeah, you. <laughs> now, uh, yeah, the, 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 the arts environment in the, in the UK is very anti, anti Brexit. So we all kind of suffer from that anyways. So, yeah, I think the frustrations are just getting bigger and bigger. And then you see the big art institutions uh, creating those beautiful, beautiful uh, exhibitions, which is great. It's amazing because we all enjoy them. But at the same time, maybe balance is not there. So how come we can afford to have beautiful exhibitions, but we can't afford to fund a program, a development program for emerging artists? That's the question. Maybe there should be a bit more balance between the two. Yeah, that's what I was trying to tell. They uh, p- people expect the artists, art professionals, will create all the beautiness, but uh, without funds. So, well, one topic you all brought up that I that I have a f- fetish about is transparency, specifically in these large institutions, because all too many of them, the, the, the even though they're like publicly funded and they supposedly their books are available for anybody to look at and you can look at their, you know, their financial records and all this, you'll look at their financial records and it will just say like exhibition costs, but like it doesn't actually tell you how their money is spent. Um, and so that, I, I mean, that whole issue is, is a huge thing because I mean, beyond that, it's also like, why have they chosen to have an exhibition of another dead white man? heterosexual white man just to be clear um instead of something else like so like it's not even necessarily the lack of transparency of like financials and other things like this but even partially the decision making process of why they per- sort of perpetuate these kinds of exhibitions by Damien Hirst and Jeff Koons and Anish Kapoor those are the three that i think that like every institution oh and Ai Weiwei those are the four that every institution must have, I believe, annually, at least one of them. I mean, I, I personally don't have much experience of uh, being inside the institution, but Marta is working a lot <laughs> with the institution. Perhaps like uh, she has experience and she can tell. I, I really uh, don't know currently what to tell about. Well, yeah, I mean, with the big names, this that's what I've mentioned in the beginning that from the perspective of a, of an institution is this is a safe way to get crowds in which is again a fair point because you want to make art popular and you want people to enjoy it but it's it's not experimental it's not risky and sometimes in order to get to the next level you need to um take some risks but also it's a safe way for those organizations to maintain their their status because they, because then they, by show, by showing those artists, they're also showing that, oh, I can afford, we can afford to show this artist. Because obviously those exhibitions, they're not cheap. You can't have 
an exhibition of Anish Kapoor for little money. That's just not going to happen. Um, and again, when it comes to transparency, I think it's easier to have rules of transparency in smaller institutions, much easier. And that goes, you know, everything from having internal meetings about, okay, what exhibition are we actually doing? Why are we supporting this artist? Why we are employing this person? Why we are having, you know, I don't know, why printing materials on this sort of paper, not this sort of paper? Why we need to turn off the lights in the gallery to save money? Like, those conversations are happening within the teams in small institutions, but not, I don't know whether they're happening in the bigger ones. I really highly doubt it that a gallery assistant, I'm not going to say a Tate, at some other arts institution have internal knowledge about why the exhibition of this and this artist is happening next year and not this other one. So, um, yeah. so yeah, that's, that's I, that. I, I mean, just what I understand from transparency is, uh, that we were discussing a lot about the contract that uh, those are for artists between a gallery and artists between collectors and artists between you know, other kind of institutions and artists and other other kind of art workers. And I think we are a lot uh, struggling in our society to define uh, a artistic career as a very profession and like a proper job but once if there are uh, regulations uh, about the profession of uh, being uh, art pr practitioner I think uh, that can help uh, artists and also uh, non-artist uh, people to uh, consider uh, the art profession as something important and concrete. So compared to computer engineering, uh, it's, it's not the same thing. And as soon as if you, if you are saying I'm a doctor of computer engineering, you don't have to actually even justify yourself or explain who you are. People are respecting. So I think, uh, transparency, uh, in this sense, uh, important. Well, I can tell you a story that a previous guest on the podcast told me about how they make decisions about what's being exhibited or a way, I'm not going to say the way, but a way that a lot of museums make these choices is it goes like this. Somebody who's on the board of a board of oversight of the museum collects a certain artists and then they say to the board, hey, you should do an exhibition of this artist who I happen to have a collection of. So then there's an exhibition of this artist collected by a board member. Therefore, it elevates the value and therefore the price of their collection. And sadly, that's a true way that exhibitions happen at some museums. And when I found that out, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, seriously. But it is serious. That actually happens. Yeah, I'm not even surprised. I know the example of the gallery that has like a a deal, maybe not a deal, but like an agreement, an agreement. Yes, with a, an embassy of a certain country. So basically what happens is that every year there is an exhibition of an artist from that country and the embassy is putting money uh, into that towards this exhibition. But it's funny when you look at the programming because you always have an artist and like the, the, the scale of, let's say, 
10 exhibitions a year, there is always a solo show of an artist from this particular country. So I'm not even surprised. And this is like a deal between the director and the embassy. So it happens. All right. So moving forward, though, so you all have this this uh, this forum where you all had these think tanks, and you've come up with what sort of outcomes? What are your projected sort of um, hopes, dreams, demands, whatever words you want to put to them for for the future of the uh, the art world titans? Like that, the European uh, Commission uh, open funding. Uh, applications for programs that facilitate the creation of a sustainable mode of transition from education to professional uh, practice and promote opportunities for emerging artists and art professionals, including programs which encourage career advice from teaching staff as part of the uh, circulum of art institutions. And another one we were proposing facilitate strong connections between art universities and established art institutions to accommodate rewarding internships, trainings, and potential job opportunities available following the completion of one's studies. And there are like several of them. Uh, do you want to also tell, Martin? Yeah, we were talking about creating funds available for individuals as well as groups because now the problem is that there is lots of funds happening uh, for different art projects and from different funding bodies that are directed at art organizations or groups not necessarily for individuals so that's one thing Um, and those funds and those programs would be dedicated to practitioners in their early stages of the career so following the examples of uh, emerging curators group by British Art Network or um, curatorial accelerator by Jerwood Arts. These were kind of the, the 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 core examples of what could be done, which was done in a good way. So we want more of those things because if something works, there's no need to, to, to change it, obviously. We also spoke about sort of social and educational change, which promotes joining unions. Um, as well because I think unions for workers of different professions are a bit more common in general knowledge rather than art workers unions um, which protect art workers rights Uh, we also talked about um, working with external art organizations or like a general recommendation for working with external HR companies that take this whole pressure of dealing with workers uh, away from the directors and people sort of in the higher levels of institutions, I guess. Um, And, oh yes, we also uh, spoke about um, introducing like a clause or, or, or mandate for public institutions which specifies that the board members of those institutions are invited to the board on a short-term sort of contract basis, so like two years long contracts, and then they get, the, the new members are being appointed. So yeah, those are only a couple of the solutions. We only focus on a couple of, of, of those. But I guess the next step 
would be to work a bit more on those because we got some feedback and then distributing those recommendations and solutions to different arts institutions and also people people in those institutions, I guess. That would be the next step, which this is where the Structura comes in and kind of um, help facilitate that process between us, the think tanks, and those groups that could, you know, use this advice, I guess. Yeah, but also we had some confusions about... Um, are we talking about one country? Are we talking about Europe? And are we talking about also non-EU countries? Uh, so as I am again like a Turkish citizen and we are not in EU, uh, but I'm uh, here in, in this forum to imagine some things for EU. So, uh, we were having brainstorming about this. Uh, actually, it's a pretty uh, deep subject and that was actually one of the most demanding uh, aspect of our discussion. We should also elaborate on this uh, once if we go further in this research. All right. So we, the, the outcome of this, though, it seems like you want the entire structure of these institutions to more or less have like a paradigm shift. Like, I mean, people have talked about this for decades. I mean, I remember reading philosophical papers about this when I was in college in the 1990s. So, I mean, this is not something new, but what what makes it so that it's sort of, I guess, newly important, like important again now? Is this because of post-pandemic and sort of that now we're like, okay, things have changed and now we need to sort of revise them all um, because there's been such a sort of a big dramatic shift due to the pandemic or like what's what's happened that has brought on the this revisioned perspective of the need for all this change or has it always been there and I just wasn't listening? So what is, well, obviously all of this is based on institutional critique and this is nothing, again, nothing new. I think the problem is that, again, this is something I've mentioned already, is that those power dynamics are just getting so ridiculous and so disproportionate in a way that there is the need call um that there is a, a call for for rapid rapid change and i guess pandemic has made it even worse because we are living in a in a times of a living crisis you know um there is a climate change as well there is strong need for social action as well so there is lots of different crises crises happenings and i think yeah we're just getting angry and we're just getting frustrated so i think vocalizing those concerns through or via the platform of the Structura, which is a way of connecting people from so many b different backgrounds, so many different countries, has an extra strength because it's not just three art workers from Poland saying those things. You know, it's young emerging art practitioners from how many countries do we have represented in the forum? Almost Excuse all. Me. That's the participants, but I'm not sure how many actual like workers from each country um the majority of europe is here so i think that also adds to the strength and also to the concern because if the same issues are being repeated in each country that there's something wrong going on and if also so many different people are people are voicing the same issues something is definitely going on yeah um i'm just simultaneously also questioning one thing 
that I didn't think about it uh, in, the, in our uh, think tank uh, discussions. Uh, we are talking about a whole Europe, but there are uh, the main participants are from uh, Eastern Europe and uh, Central Europe as well. And I'm just thinking, what does this say actually? What it says is that people in Eastern or sorry, Western Europe and even in the Americas are very um, accepting of the fact of like that this is how institutions run and we just we will continue the way that it's always been done and we're not going to question it uh whereas some of the other parts of the world are question you know choosing to question things we're very apathetic and uh, it's also somehow uh, a bit out of uh, subject but uh, creates a sort of uh, another t type of uh, connection because uh, perhaps uh, post-communist uh, countries and uh, also now with a huge problem in Ukraine and, and Turkey and uh, some participants from Georgia. It's, uh, we are somehow dealing more or less with uh, similar economical issues as well. Perhaps this is influencing institutions and that's uh, what was really uh, cool for me to uh, connect those people. I'd like to go back for a second to your uh, discussion about the loss of what I call the loss of the middle class, how basically the rich and the powerful are becoming more rich and powerful and the the artists oftentimes or the lower people are getting worse off. Uh, this is something that I've been seeing happen in many different places. So whether it's residency opportunities, granting opportunities, exhibition opportunities, it seems like the, the well-connected, the rich, the powerful, whatever, have more, substantially more better opportunities versus the people who don't have any of those power or connections have less opportunities. And that's a, a bigger conversation that I, actually I think I need to have with some other people as well. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's a that's a, that's a huge huge problem, and I think this problem has been a topic of discussion in many different think tanks. Um, the problem of pay, the problem of you know freelancing opportunities, the problem of accessing opportunities like this. Um, yeah, there is just more and more <laughs> problems multiplying when it comes to this area. So probably that's a that's a topic for another podcast episode. Yeah, I'll do that. Actually, I will do a whole separate one on that with somebody in the future because that's an interesting topic. But another one that I wanted to actually touch on is artist fees. Uh, like the in Europe, there is a better, it just comparatively better system for artist fees than let's say in America, which is where I'm from. Uh, so is that something that is being sort of encouraged to be uh, become more robust? You know, so like pay better. <laughs> What do you mean artist fee exactly? Uh, what I mean by that is like in the United... Well, specifically what I mean is, is like in the United States, if an artist has an exhibition at an institution, there, in, there is no obligation to for the artist to be paid for their time of delivery, installation, and all that process. They're, they should be honored to have the exhibition, and so they don't get paid for their time to do that necessarily. Some institutions do it, but there's no sort of mandate to it. In Europe, from what I understand, which of course I could be totally wrong, 
and I often am, that there is a sort of a mandate of a certain amount of money that has to be given either on an hourly basis or a per diem kind of thing. That's a standardized thing that if you're an institution of a certain size that you must pay your artists X amount of money. Is that correct? First of all, <laughs> I don't even know. Actually, uh, uh, I didn't uh, hear about this before, and I didn't know it's like that in United States. The United States is capitalism, so. Yeah, uh, we were uh, maybe not directly talking about this, but uh, imagining the um, museums, institutions with uh, spaces where artists are actually not uh, forced to create uh, exhibition projects in a certain period, like in two weeks, but like providing space uh, that they can experiment how much ever they want. Uh, that, that, that was one of the uh, discussion we had. But I don't know if we came across uh, to this subject, uh, Marta. No, we did. Um, we did. We talked about how artist pay is being regulated in each country. And I think it just depends on the country because in the UK, there is a system that there is like a list of, of the amount uh, an artist should be paid per hour if the contract is short or per diem if the contract is a bit longer. And also that there is a different sort of pay for emerging artists, different for mid, um, mid-career artists and whatnot. But again, the, the, those rules do not exist in Eastern Europe or where, in Poland, where I'm from. There is just no such thing. Um, so I guess it depends on the, the country's economical situation and, and, and uh, culture of that. Um, so we did, we did address it. It's just, you know, certain things are just, um, how do I say this? It's outside of our, <laughs> um, power sort of area because how, how we can change that, um, not, well, again, our recommendation is joining the union because if there is a situation that an artist is not being paid, right, if this artist is a single artist, they're a bit on a shyer side, they don't want to make a fuss out of it, they're just taking the opportunity to, to exhibit, they do it, they call it a day, that's done. But if this artist is within a group of artists advocating for their pay they make a fuss on social media about it they make a fuss in you know in the community about it maybe the next time the gallery is going to be doing a project they're going to take that into the consideration they're going to pay the people so being a group is definitely a strength and uh it's also you know questioning this whole idea of working individually as an artist being a strong in yeah individual as an artist so yeah, strength is 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 within a group and within a community, and that was also one of the things that we talked about um, quite a lot, actually. Yeah. Also, we were talking about in some countries uh, there is the artist status. So I, I'm I'm from Turkey, and there is no such a thing, and there is no regulation about artists. And sometimes this might bring good things. Artists are not paying tax at all in Turkey if they are selling works. Uh, but in Belgium, uh, yeah, in Turkey, there is what? no tax. Uh, there, no, no tax. There is no regulation. I know uh, some artists in front of me, they are just paid, let's say, 20,000 euros 
it's just like yeah it's <laughs> no tax i but uh it, at first glance it might uh, sound good but but then there is no status for artists in, in belgium uh there is a status because the tax system is quite uh, strict there uh if you are selling regularly uh and if you can prove it uh, once you are jobless and you are struggling it for finding job uh, you might be paid uh, unemployed uh, wage so but which is uh, very difficult not everybody is able to reach this status as well all right so wrapping this up like what are some of the sort of outcomes of the think tank that you sort of hope to see changes in regards to we recommend the, the solutions so again like i've mentioned before uh more programs more opportunities for artists at the early stages of their career uh more risk taking more experimentation uh engagement with them engagement with the community listening to the voices of the community repeating the programs that worked well uh that had good feedback from their participants and looking out for research that is being done on how to solve those problems because it's also there it's available not settling down for easy answers not settling down for the comfort of doing your job um and yeah sharing the power a bit more getting getting <laughs> getting down from the high horse um a bit and looking out for the community and generally being a nice person that's i think the the, the biggest recommendation from our side be 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 a nice person that was pretty good explanation actually uh, in the last 15 minutes uh, mainly we were exemplifying our uh, solutions all right well that's a lovely way to wrap it up then so thank you very much thank you too. thank you so much that's it before you leave we would like to thank you for listening all the way through the entire episode we would appreciate it if you would share this podcast with your friends, family, co-workers, studio mates, anybody with an interest in the arts and creative endeavors. The building and strengthening of the arts and creative community, not only today, but for the future, is at the core of our mission for this podcast. They can listen and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are produced by 5014, and the music was created by Pete Bybee. The Wise Fool Art Podcast is supported in part by an EEA grant from Iceland, Liechtenstein, and Norway in an effort to work together for a green, competitive, and inclusive Europe. We would also like to thank our partners Hunt Kastner in Prague, Czech Republic, and Kunst Centrene in Norge in Norway. Links to EEA grants and our partner organizations are available in the show notes or on our website, wisefoolpod.com.